Welcome to the Heartland Free Sermon Podcast. We're so happy to have you. If you're a first-time listener and you'd like to get to know more about us as a church, click the link in the podcast description. And if you'd like to fill out our online connection card, you can do that there as well. Thanks for joining us, and let's get into a fantastic message. Well, I am beginning a new sermon series. My favorite books of the Bible to preach from are Genesis and Revelation. I don't know why, but I've always drawn, been drawn to the beginning and the end. And, and of course, we have the most important part, the cross, in the middle. Okay? Uh, the good stuff uh, is in the middle, just like the sandwich. But... Uh, <laughs> The ends are pretty good too. So we're going to be doing a sermon series here on foundations. All of the things that God created in these early chapters of Genesis, God made it and we get to enjoy it. And they are wonderful, wonderful gifts like genders. You know, all of the crazy things the culture is telling us about genders. We're going to be doing a sermon on genders because this was a marvelous gift that God gave to us. We need to celebrate it. Aren't you glad we're not, man, I am glad as a man that there are women in the world, you know? Yeah. And this is, this is just an awesome gift from God, the gift of sexuality. I'm do, doing a, a message on that. It's a wonderful gift. Has it been screwed up by Satan? Absolutely. But it is a wonderful gift, the gift of marriage. We're going to be, we're going to be talking about this stuff. People, the gift of people. Why did God make people? Hey, the gift of work. Do you know work is a gift that was given by God before the fall of man? It is a good gift that God, not, not something we have to endure and gut it out. It's a good, we're going to be doing a message on that. So we've got some great, great things uh, ahead in this series here, and uh, I am thoroughly looking forward to it. So let's bow our heads in prayer as we prepare for the message today. Father, uh, Lord, it is, it's an exciting new year, 2022. Lord, we praise you to the highest heaven uh, for the generosity of God's people that have poured out such an awesome offering at the year end here that is going to allow us to do some things, Lord, uh, that will enable us to reach more people, God precious people as we do some redesigning and and provide additional meeting places for Awana and women's ministries and and uh, father uh, men's ministries and various other things God Lord we pray that you would guide us each step of the way we're excited about this Lord and we pray that you would guide us step by step Lord as we begin this new series of messages all of these wonderful gifts that you've given us. Lord, you are an awesome, awesome God. And we, we pray that we can truly celebrate these gifts. And even though the enemy has tried to mix, mix things up and, and, uh, uh, Lord just uh, poked holes in these good gifts. Lord, we realize they're gifts from you. We love you. Uh, we pray, Father, I pray that today, 
as we look at this sermon about the universe that you created, Lord, nothing evolved. Certainly didn't happen by chance. God, it was designed before the foundations of the world were laid. And I pray, Father, we can capture the joy and the wonder of that today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. December 21st, 1968, Apollo 8 launched from Cape Kennedy and became the first spacecraft to orbit the moon. Astronauts Bill Anders, Jim Lovell, Frank Borman became the first humans to witness and photograph an earth rise. 1968 had been a tumultuous year in America, sort of like the last two years that we've had. Martin Luther King was assassinated. There were racial riots all across the country. They were burning down the cities. Bobby Kennedy was assassinated followed by a bitter election won by Richard Nixon. We all know what happened to him. And then the Vietnam War divided the country right down the middle. An endless war with no way out, seemingly. America was coming apart at the seams. And then came Apollo 8, literally going where no man had gone before, beaming dramatic photos back to the planet Earth, Their complicated mission was virtually flawless, with the table being set for a moon landing the following summer. And yet what has never been forgotten about Apollo 8 was their Christmas Eve flight. Ten trips around the moon, culminating with a Christmas Eve television broadcast that was watched by over a billion people. At the time, the largest TV audience in history. And as they viewed the surface of the moon, they're gliding across 70 miles above the moon. The astronauts beam back to Earth. An unforgettable message. The crew of Apollo 8 has a message that we would like to send to you. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. Let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament. And divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. And the evening and the morning were the second day. God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth. 
and the gathering together of the waters called these seas. God saw that it was good. And from the crew of Apollo 8, we close with good night, good luck, a Merry Christmas, and God bless all of you, all of you on the good earth. Is that amazing? Praise God. I was 10 years old when I saw that. I remember like it was yesterday. The beauty of that moment. One simple message and all the residents of planet Earth are brought together. Audiences in North and South America, audiences in Europe, some 64 countries able to tune in live thanks to recently launched satellites. 30 more countries watched a delayed broadcast soon thereafter. Astronaut Frank Borman would later write, we got millions of telegrams after we landed, but the one I remember the most was, congratulations to the crew of Apollo 8. You saved 1968. Today I began a new sermon series on the foundations of our faith. We start at the very beginning. In fact, we start even before the beginning. If you can imagine that, John 1.1 puts it like this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Before there was anything else, before a molecule of the universe was called into existence, there was the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit was there too. Look at Genesis 1-2. It says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Today we're going to dive a little deeper into these first few verses of Genesis as we focus in on three attributes of God's creation that call for action on our part. The first attribute of creation is his majesty, which should lead us to fear God. Should lead us to fear God. Genesis 1-1 says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The very first verse in the Bible, simply breathtaking. This should lead us to fear him in the sense of having an awesome respect for him that is so lacking today. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Here's the question we need to wrestle with. Do you have a healthy respect for the majesty of our awesome God? The ver first verse of Genesis, Genesis should lead us to bow before his majesty and his magnificence. Take the word for God in verse 1. In Hebrew, it is the word Elohim. Elohim is a plural name with a singular meaning. It could be translated as gods, 
But here it is clearly used in a singular sense as the mighty name of the creator of heaven and earth. And yet, in a singular sense, but a plural tense. Of course, that is exactly what the triune God is. He is one and yet more than one. In fact, he is three in one. Father, Son, Spirit in one. And look at what Elohim, this triune God, does in verse 1. He creates. The Hebrew word is bara. It's a word which is always used only of God. We do not create in the sense that God does. We as human beings cannot call things into existence. In junior high art class, you may have created a piece of pottery, but you started with something, didn't you? You started with a piece of clay, you fashioned it and formed it and glazed it and baked it and out came a piece of pottery. But only God called into existence the very clay that you started with. That's what bara means. To create ex nihilo. That's the Latin phrase meaning out of nothing. So what is it that God creates in verse 1? Well, the first thing he creates is the heavens. The Hebrew word shamayim. It is also in the plural tense as is Elohim. So it is translated either as heaven or heavens depending on the context. In the Bible, the first heaven is the atmosphere of the earth, what we would call the sky. The second heaven is the realm of the stars and planets, what we would call outer space. The third heaven is the abode of God. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 2, the apostle Paul is caught up to the third heaven, is what the Bible says, meaning he was given a vision of heaven itself, the place where God resides. The point that is being made in Genesis 1-1 is that God created the entity of space itself. Isaiah 40-22 says that God stretched out the heavens like a tent. Isn't that a beautiful word picture? God created space itself. He created length and he created width, and he created depth. Before Genesis 1-1, there was no such thing. Genesis 1-1 tells us that the triune God, Elohim, also created the earth. The Hebrew word is Eretz. Eretz means land or ground or dirt or soil. The entity that scientists call matter, which can exist as solid, liquid, and gas. Eretz can refer to the planet we live on, planet Earth. It can refer to a specific place on the Earth, like the land of Minnesota. Or it can refer to a material substance upon the Earth, like grass or tree or a lake. Now, look at verse 1. There is a third entity that the triune God also calls into existence in this verse. And that third entity, folks, it's time itself. Now, it isn't easy to wrap your mind around this. So you need to put your thinking caps on for just a moment. 
The Hebrew word for in the beginning is the word bereshith. It refers to the first element in the course of events. Now make no mistake about it, Genesis 1-1, the triune God called into existence out of nothing the very concept of time itself. Before Genesis 1-1, there was no time. There was only the triune God who is eternal, meaning he has no beginning, no end. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day. In his systematic theology, Wayne Grudem puts it like this, quote, God created time and is Lord over time. Therefore, he can see events in time vividly, yet he can also see events in time specifically, and he can act in that specific time. In other words, God simultaneously sees events that occurred 100 years ago and that are occurring right now, and events that will occur a hundred years from now. And he can see all of them with crystal clarity. Sort of like us reading a novel. And when we're done, we can flip through the pages, see someone's childhood, we can see their teenage years, we can see their 20s and 30s, all the way to the end of their life. And for a brief moment, Things that happened a long time ago, we can go back and we can read, well, what, was it, what happened in their teenage years? And we can enter into that period of time. But in the end, folks, we are so, so finite, aren't we? And he is so, so infinite. He is the Lord of time. History is his story. The universe is his universe. It's a space, matter, time universe that he called into existence and he did it ex nihilo out of nothing. The majesty and beauty of our universe bears a continuous witness to its creator. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Do you fear him? Do you revere him? Do you respect him? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the prophet Isaiah chapter 40 verse 22 says that God sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And by the way, the Bible calls the earth a circle. Okay, some 2,000 years before Galileo and all of those guys. Okay, Bible knows God created a circle. And it's people... Isaiah says, are like grasshoppers. That's the word it's used, Isaiah used. The grasshoppers, guys, that's us. We're the grasshoppers. In the presence of God, we are like grasshoppers. 
and we need to remember that. Now, the first attribute of creation is God's majesty. The second is God's order, which should lead us to mirror him, to copy him. And I'm going to explain how we do that. The way in which God created the world in an orderly fashion should be a mirror for us to copy. Now let me explain. Verse 3, we see how God created in a very orderly fashion. Step by step, verse 3 says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So on the first day, light is created, sun, moon, and stars, or uh, earth, space, and time, rather. On the second day, the atmosphere is created. On the third day, dry land and plants. On the fourth day, the sun, moon, and stars. The fifth day, the birds and the sea. Uh, creatures, the fish. On the sixth day, the land animals and humans are created. And on the seventh day, God rested. Why did God do that? You know what he, why he did that? He did that to establish a pattern for us to mirror, for us to follow. Exodus 20 verse 8 says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but in the seventh day it's a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And by the way, that verse is probably one of the strongest evidences that the days of creation are literal 24-hour uh, days. Because that's exactly how it's used in that context. Folks, we are to mirror the pattern that our Lord established. The Lord worked for six days, rested on the seventh. God wants us to establish this same rhythm in our lives. Work six, rest one. The term Sabbath means to rest, to cease working. We are also to keep the Sabbath holy. The word holy is kadosh in the Hebrew. It means to set apart. It means to consecrate. I pronounced it kadash yesterday. My son, Andrew, corrected me. It's kadosh, right, Andrew? Yes, Andrew spent a lot of time in Israel. Kadosh. It's kadosh. It means to set apart. It means to consecrate. We as God's people are to mirror the same pattern as our Lord. Work seven, rest one. We set that day apart. We consecrate it as a day to honor God. Now here's what's really interesting. Nine of the Ten Commandments are repeated. They're reinforced in the New Testament. You know the one that isn't? The Sabbath command. But Jesus does say something very, very interesting about the Sabbath command. Mark 2.27, Jesus said, The Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He said this to the Pharisees because they had turned the Sabbath into an endless list of rules. 
can only walk so many steps and, you know, you can only ride an elevator. So, of course, they didn't have elevators. But the Jews today, the Orthodox Jews, you can only ride an elevator so much. And, you know, can, can we help our donkey out of the ditch? Well, let's go see. And, you know, and they had rules, rules, rules for everything. Jesus said, no, you got it all wrong, guys. God didn't give us the Sabbath to burden us down with rules. God gave us the Sabbath to give us a day off, to benefit us. We are to set it apart as a day to focus on the stuff that really matters. Loving God, loving family, loving others. God gave us this day, one in seven, to keep us from being overwhelmed by the continuous demands of life. Do you ever get overwhelmed by the continuous demands of life? Pastor Denny gets overwhelmed by the continuous demands of life. It's life straining sometimes, isn't it? You ever get into bed at night and you just go, you know, it's like you're, you're almost become unconscious. You know, you're worn out from the day's events. Now we must understand that the Sabbath command is no longer binding on us like the other nine commands. You work on Sunday, you're not sinning like you are if you break the other nine commands. It's no longer binding on us. Colossians 2.16 says, Let no one judge you with regard to the Sabbath, for it is a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. But that does not mean that it isn't wise to observe a Sabbath. Keeping Sunday as a day of rest and worship or another day, you know, if you're a policeman, a a nurse, a pastor, you can keep another day as your Sabbath. That is a wise thing to do. And it reminds us also to establish other life-giving rhythms that honor God, like going to church on Sunday. That should be a lifeline to you. It should be the anchor of your life. It should be something that binds you to God. And it should be a springboard to establish other life-giving rhythms, like Bible reading. Great time to start a read-the-Bible-through uh, campaign. It's a, it's a great time to start that today. Okay, you're only one day behind. See, so you, you can you can start that. There are several. I was talking to someone on New Year's Eve that had just finished the whole Bible. Okay, and so you can do that. It's it's life changing to do that. Strongly encourage you've never done that. Uh, so we can develop these other life giving rhythms: Bible reading, prayer, gathering for fellowship. You can say, you know what. I'm going to be at Thursday prayer this, this year. I'm just going to make that a commitment. I'll tell you, it is, if you do, it's going to be life changing. I'll tell you that. Okay. You know that, don't you, Nance? Yeah. 
It's life-changing. Okay, so we're going to be making a circle out there on Thursdays. Pastor Jeff and Bruce Burning and others will be leading us. It's, it's life-changing. Gathering for fellowship with other believers. You need your fellow believers. Get in some sort of a small group or Bible study this year. It is a lifeline for you. You need other godly people to process life. What do I do when I'm having problems raising my kids? I'm having problems at work. I'm mad at my sister, brother, parent. What do I do? Okay? You talk with other godly people and then you pray about that. We need that. We never uh, get to the place where we don't need that. So, by creating the world in an orderly manner, culminating with a day of rest, the Lord establishes a pattern for us to mirror. Now, of course, God doesn't need to rest. <laughs> yeah, he's God. He doesn't need to rest, but, but God knew that we do. We need to rest. Jesus didn't need to be baptized, but we need to be baptized. He did it as an example to us. During the work week, issues at work can distract us. But on Sunday, we can pause to reflect and we can think about stuff like the majesty of God. Okay? We can think about that. You can go out at night. Fortunately, it's night at 5 o'clock, right? <laughs> we have a lot of night to look at. See, so you can get out there and you can look in the in this. The sun, moon, the, the stars and the moon and, and, and just say, man, we have a wonderful, wonderful God. Praise God. Genesis 1 is a powerful reminder of all these things. The fourth day of creation has always been my favorite day. Look at verse 16. God made two great lights. The greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night, and he also made the stars. I love that, the way it says that. It's like a throwaway comment. You know, oh, by the way, hey, he made the stars. <laughs> you know, and there are as many stars as all of the sands of the seashores on planet Earth. That's how many stars there are, okay? He also made the stars, by the way. <laughs> Only when you gaze into the sky on a cloudless night can you start to appreciate the order and precision of our creator. I love the book Miracles by Eric Metaxas. I love Eric Metaxas. But I tell you, his show is uh, one of the best shows uh, to... Uh, he was just interviewing the, um, uh, the, the guys who produced American Underdog. Uh, the new movie that came out, the Kurt Warner story. If you haven't seen that, by the way, awesome, awesome movie. One of the best uh, Christian-themed movies out there. Uh, great, great job. And he interviews all kinds of interesting people. Eric Metaxas wrote this book, Miracles. He notes that if the size of the earth or the size of the moon were slightly different, life on earth would be impossible. And he points this out three or four chapters, that creation, everything was created just right for life to exist. Did you realize in our solar system, only the earth has one moon? Jupiter, over 50 moons. Saturn, also over 50 moons. Uranus, 27 moons. Neptune, 14 moons. Mars, two moons. Mercury and Venus, they don't have any. 
In order to sustain life as we know it, one moon is a necessity. Our solitary moon is what causes the ocean tides. And the ocean tides is what cleans the oceans and replenishes the nutrients. The moon affects everything on planet Earth. It affects the rotation of our axis. It reflects the stability of our temperatures. It reflects the tilt of our planet which causes the seasons. And get this, the sun is almost exactly 400 times the size of the moon. I was looking at it as we came in this morning. It was just peeking up over the horizon. 400 times the size of the moon. So in order for them to look the same size, the sun and moon, from earth, the distance from the earth to the sun must be about 400 times the distance from earth to the moon. And you know what? That's exactly the way it is. This means the end result is the freakish fact that we can experience a total eclipse on planet Earth. You ever seen anything like this? Certain times, certain places, the moon will pass in front of the sun and block out its light completely. Just barely. Okay? Because... From uh, to us, they look like the same size. I remember seeing, I saw about a three-quarter eclipse when I was a teenager. Um, and it, it, it is magnificent to watch that. You got to do it with, you can't look at it directly. This is magnificent. You know who's behind it all? The creator and sustainer of the universe who masterminded all this stuff with stunning order and precision. And you know what? Read the book, Miracles. This is just the beginning. If the rotation of the earth were slightly faster or slightly slower, you know what happened? Life couldn't exist. If the planet Jupiter, which is so big, it alters the, the uh, orbit of everything else, If the planet Jupiter weren't quite as big as it is, or if it wasn't positioned exactly where it is, life on Earth would be impossible. So this, too, is just the the tip of the iceberg. Our God is a God of order. 1 Corinthians 14.33, For our God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Praise God for that. Now let's move to the third attribute of creation, And I love this one, God's variety, God's variety. Hey, this looks like our house yesterday. We had four dogs (laughs) and nine grandkids. Boy, did we have fun yesterday. And my my grandkids are here today. Uh, We left the dogs home. (laughs) But uh, uh, it, it was a lot of fun. So the third attribute of creation is God's variety, which should lead us to hear him. I'm going to explain that. Verse 11 says, then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit with seed in it, according to their various kinds. I want you to underline that. Okay. This is a direct shot that God preemptively takes at evolution, okay? 
Because the evolution say, no, stuff wasn't created according to its kinds. Kinds evolved from other kinds. That's what evolution says. Bible says no. God created everything according to its kinds. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their kinds, and God saw that it was good. Variety is God's idea. God loves a wide range of different plants and animals and people. He did not create clones or robots. Everything God created is intentional and unique. You know what? That includes you. You are intentional and and unique. The theory of evolution claims the opposite is true, that you came into being by accident, by a re, the result of chance processes. The evolution says you are one cog in the evolutionary change of, uh, chain of progression. Folks, nothing could be further from the truth than that. The Bible says that you were made by design. The Bible says you were knit together in your mother's womb. The Bible says that God wants a relationship, not just with a handful of pastors and priests. And No, he wants a relationship with you. With you. Little old you. That's true. The question is, are you listening? Jesus said, John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. That isn't just true of a select few like Noah and Abraham and Peter and Paul. God wants to speak to you. In fact, what's interesting in the Bible is that God seems to speak out, seek out some of the most unlikely people to talk to, like Samuel. In 1 Samuel 3, he's just a little boy, you know, and God speaks to him, okay? And uh, Samuel doesn't know, he he runs in to to see Eli, the priest. He says, Eli, did you call for me? And uh, Eli said, "Uh, Samuel, this is what you need to do. If you hear the voice again, you say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, now, what do you think Eli was thinking? Samuel goes back to his room. I'm sure Eli's sitting, hold it a second. I'm the priest. God should be speaking to me, right? Why, God, why are you talking to a little boy and not to me? But God delights in doing the unusual, doesn't he? And we see this again when God calls a teenager named David to fight a giant named Goliath, okay? Boy, I mean, we look at that and we go, ooh, this isn't going to end well, <laughs> right? Yeah, but that's what God did. Or Luke one twenty eight, God spoke through an angel to a young virgin named Mary, also a teenager. God had an assignment for her, okay? The angel said, you're going to have a baby, Mary, And Mary said, well, that's not going to be easy because I'm a virgin. I haven't been with a man. And the angel said, you know know what the angel said? Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Are you listening to God? You may think you're nothing special, but the Lord says, let me decide that. 
You see, Genesis 1 tells us that God created everything with intentionality. He created it with uniqueness. Plants and animals and people are each created according to their kinds. Genesis 1 says that line, that phrase, 10 times. Think God wanted us to understand that? God designed each organism to reproduce another organism that would be like itself, but would have endless variety within that species. So roses will produce a wide variety of roses. You go to buy roses, guys, right? Boy, you have a big choice, don't you? Oh, do I get the yellow ones? Do I get the purple ones? And so forth. God did that. Endless variety. That is true of the beetles. It's true of the robins. It's true of the turtles. It's true of the elephants. It's true of people. We have a lot of variety, don't we? God loves diversity. He loves variety. And we see that everywhere. Of course, creation, according to kinds, as I said, it is categorically opposed to what the theory of evolution teaches. As you may remember from your science classes, we are taught that more simple organisms starting with one-celled organisms, gradually evolve into more and more complex organisms until after a few billion years, well, out pops us. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I remember asking, now where does the primal, where do, where do the one-celled organisms come from? Oh, well, that comes from the, we, at that time, when I was a teenager, they called it the primordial ooze, the swamp where life came into you know, some stuff started interacting and then out pops a cell, okay? I mean, my goodness. And they have the audacity to say that we're the ones who uh, have faith, you know? I mean, it, they really got to have faith to believe all that. They take faith to a whole nother level. Whereas we look and say, did Jesus die on the cross? It's pretty good evidence for that. See, our, our faith is built on something solid, a historical fact. Historical fact. 500 people saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. I close with this. When Darwin wrote The Origin of Species, he was anticipating this, okay? He was anticipating that the starfish... This is what they would see. He said, this is what you're going to find in the fossil record. You're going to see starfish, and then you're going to see transitional forms, and then you're going to see a fish. Okay? It turns into a regular fish. You're going to see that fish, the transitional forms, you know, it puts on legs and all this, and then out pops a frog. And then the frog, and then it goes into a lizard. And then the lizard, and then he goes into a bunny. And then the dinosaur, and he pops into a ostrich. Okay? You know what? They never found it. They never found those transitional, those transitional fossils. They did not find that. They didn't find half fish, half amphibian fossils. 
And by the way, what good is half an eye going to do for you? You got to have the whole eye to see, okay? There has never been any scientific proof of a given species evolving into another species. In fact, the evidence is so lacking, many scientists today are abandoning the evolutionary model altogether. Now, that doesn't mean they're going over to, they're not, they're not looking to the Bible. You know what the most popular model they're moving toward is life was transported from outer space. That's, that's the model that is being more and more looked at, which only sets the thing back, right? Where did that come from? Okay? So life was transported. The aliens. Ah, it's the aliens. It's the UFOs. They brought life to planet Earth from elsewhere in the universe. Folks, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. The Bible says this in Romans 1.20. I love this verse. Since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been, what? Clearly seen. Being understood from what has been made so that men are, what? They're without excuse. They're without excuse. Yeah. Truly, the heavens declare the glory of God. His handiwork is all around us. Are you trusting him? 